Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Messy Truth Conversations on Photography. Before we launch into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know about some new things I've been thinking about. For those of you who are new to the podcast, hello and welcome. I'm Jen Fletcher. I'm an art director, writer, photo director and podcaster based in London. My intention for this podcast was always to unpick the messy, complicated reality of image making in conversation with emerging and newly established photographers, curators, commissioners and critics. For me, these are the individuals responsible for shaping the future of photography. But I've been thinking a lot about longevity recently in photography and how young photographers can build a foundation that could give them stability long term. I'm interested in how photographers can push and level up when they face that inevitable mid-career plateau. And with so many practitioners working today, I believe these are really important questions that deserve a dialogue. So... With that in mind, I've been recording some new episodes with photographers that I really admire that have been navigating the industry and doing the work for several decades. It's been really fascinating to hear about their personal evolution, what they've had to overcome, and the moments of discovery along the way. For me, these episodes also really speak to our wider industry, the changes we've seen and the radical changes that are still long overdue. I really hope you get as much out of these as possible. So today I'm actually speaking to Shaniqua Jarvis, and Shaniqua is a master storyteller. Her intimate, connected portraiture is emotional and optimistic no matter who she's photographing. And Shaniqua's been working since the late 90s, but it was only after her self-titled book in 2017, which chronicled two decades of work, did she start to become recognised for the incredible talent that she is. Back in the 90s, there were very few women in commercial and editorial photography, let alone women of colour. And Shaniqua's talent and tenacity got her through some really dark times. And in making a name for herself, she's created space and opened doors for a new generation. I'm really excited to talk to Shaniqua about her storytelling, optimism and about living her truth. So I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Uh, New York City, and I grew up with my mom predominantly and would spend weekends and some long summer months with my dad in Brooklyn and in Antigua. I come from a family that has always documented themselves. There was never a time where I didn't see or have a camera in the house. So like my grandparents had a little brownie. My mom had a camera, like her Olympus that she loved. And then my dad, he had his Canon. Like there was never a time that I didn't see a camera either pointed at me or pointed at things. So I think I was always very comfortable with the idea of seeing through a lens and capturing things because I just thought that that was normal. 
I think that my the neighborhood that I grew up in was quite diverse and the the ethos of that neighborhood was always like you know like healthy food shop mom and pop shop and a, a large sense of community and I think that like I've like in the past week and just really put all of that together and being like oh this is why you love to move within your community why you want to always work within your community and your community of friends and you know people who are a likes and so on and so on so I think that all of those things made me who I am today that's amazing amazing that you were just always around cameras I feel like that's so rare it really is you know specifically within like black and brown communities like you know because photography was so expensive it was so interesting to see my parents you know documenting a lot of things and being able to look back now and find a lot of imagery you know and like my grandparents first got a car or you know just like celebratory moments and seeing those on film it's, it's pretty rad did you always want to be a photographer um no I originally thought that I was going to be um, a teacher or a psychologist and I think I was like maybe second year at university um, my mom was like oh you know I'm I'm done paying for this school like I feel like you don't want to be here like you need to figure this shit out and I was like, okay. And I remember coming home and doing like an internship for Paper Magazine. And from there, I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Like, I want to be a photographer. I was on set and I was running around and I was doing all these different things. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is what I wanted to do. And it was like a funny kind of flashback because I think in high school, I was like, oh, my God, I think I want to be a photographer. And I have no idea how that idea came into my brain. Like, I have no concept of, you know, when that thought came to me. But it's like at the internship, I just remembered, oh, wait, 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 this is what I want to do. (laughs) It's actually pretty funny. Kind of on your pathway to doing photography full time, you've done so many different roles within the industry, right? You've been a photo editor, printer, producer. And I'm wondering when you transitioned to shooting full time, how did you find the industry in those early days? Um, Well, that was at the start of the century, you know, so it was rather difficult. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Um, No, so it, it just it was it was rather difficult for all the reasons um racism sexism it was quite difficult to transition from you know being in the office to working full time as a photographer um and i had all of those jobs because i couldn't afford all the things so you know i did all of those different jobs within the industry because i was paying for parsons so it started off that way, you know, at Parsons, I was going to school, but I was also teaching swimming. And I was also, you know, I think interning for some magazine at the time, and then also selling photos on the streets, you know, to like pay for things. And I think that that just kept going. Like, you know, after Parsons, I worked as a photo editor and that was legitimately like, so I could pay off my student loan. And I think all of these things, came out of necessity but I like a a few friends you know had the same plate and 
you know, they worked at bars or they did, you know, whatever they wanted to do. But I felt that it was super important for me to stay within the industry and to like be always be as close as I could to photography. And I think most of the jobs that I chose were ones that I could actually photograph for them. You know, so like one of my first my first photo editor job was at Time Out New York. And I was able to photograph and photo edit and hire, you know, my photography friends to shoot. Um, it was a very tricky time because I think that a lot of the growth that I could have had was halted, not just, you know, because of like the, just the system, but it was like people who thought that they were doing the right thing, you know, they were just like, uh, we're not going to promote you. We're not going to do this and that. And I think that there were all these different obstacles that allowed me to then just do what I was supposed to do, which is just shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing at all. I just remember it always being like filled with like strife, but I think it's because when you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing, you know, there's always going to be the universe throwing you signs that like, this isn't right. And so, you know, for all of the, the issues that I had, I think I'm thankful for them because they allowed me to, like, not just be comfortable and sit at a desk, but to, like, push myself. And within that pushing, like, I moved to Los Angeles and was there for a bit and then moved to London and was there for a bit. And I think all of these uncomfortable situations allowed me to be, you know, who, who I am today. Did you have any mentors during that time or was there any kind of role models for you that you were looking up to or was it much more isolating than that? I think during that time it was really just my community of friends like we you know we all were striving to do something and you know a a lot of us didn't have mentors either because that's also like a, a like it's like a whole other podcast but to talk about of you know, black and brown uh, youth finding mentors and like how it's not really that easy because of the systems that are set where you're trying to move through an industry and in that industry, there's like two or three other black women doing the thing. And if you're trying to find someone that looks and feels like you, it's super hard, you know? And I think that I think during that time, I think I was trying, but like it, it never really connected. <laughs> I yeah. never really found like you know um, a person. I think I found I've I've got I've gained more mentors in my elder years, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of focus on what you just said because let's be kind of clear: the systemic oppression in our industry in the process of making work in agencies is very much uh, rife and it's it's been there for a really long time and I imagine you know in some ways it might be you know it might have evolved in a positive way since since you, you starting out but you know it's still very much a journey and very much a fight that we all need to get behind and I'm wondering how much you think about this and how much you have to navigate this still on a daily basis when you're just trying to do your job well I think that you know there's 
in my opinion, there's there's these varying levels that prohibit true inclusion. There's these different layers and these different levels of not just racism, but just like, I don't even know how to properly word this, but when you look at an industry and you see like, you know, how it's set up and, you know, when you're saying like things have gotten better from, you know, in the like early 2000s that we're talking about when I was like working as a photo editor at Parsons, I don't know if in 20 years that a lot of things have changed except that there's more of us. Um, I think that it's also why I take my role like within talking to younger photographers, specifically like black photographers in like whatever it is. Like if a black photographer DMs me, I'm like, okay, what do you need? Like, you want me to help you read a contract? You want me to help you talk about something? You want me to connect you to someone? Cool. Because I always found that it was so difficult to find an ally within the business. When I did, it was glorious. It was like, you know, I was able to move in a way that I wouldn't have before, but it was rare, you know? And I think when people are like, oh my God, it took you this long to do this thing, but now kids are doing it like within five years. And I'm like, yeah, that's because, you know, people like myself, like kick down the doors and prop them open. You know, we didn't kick them down and like close them behind us. We were like, okay, let's, we need more, let's go. Like we need more voices, we need more stories. I, I think that I also am still wanting to work tirelessly for others because, you know, when I'm on set, when I'm working on bigger jobs, there's still moments where I'm like, did that person just say that? Or did that person, do they really believe that? Or, you know, how much tap dancing sometimes I have to do in order to win, you know, an advertising job when it's like, no, the proof's in the pudding. Like, it's not like I just started taking photos two days ago. <clears throat> what you see, plus the maturity and experience is what you get. But knowing that there's still, you know, there's still these hoops to jump through because I am a black woman, you know, those things are still there. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's weird. I I think that it's changed, but I don't think that it's gotten easier for anyone, you know, within the creative industry at all. Well, I feel like, you know, you've touched upon a few vital things. One of those being that it shouldn't just be people of color making space and opening doors for the younger generation. We all need to be doing that. And everybody who is in a position of power and influence in the industry needs to be looking around, seeing who's not there and making sure that more people have the opportunity to tell the stories that they want to tell. And I think you've done an amazing job. I mean, I've told you this before, like so many young photographers that I interview cite you as such a powerful influence and you've had such a tangible effect on them I think even beyond the people that you mentor and the people that you support on social I think just you being present and just showing up all the time and always turning it out has had a massive impact on people so I think all credit to you because it's it's not easy well thanks it's funny because when you make when I'm doing stuff I'm legitimately like and, you know, selfishly, I'm like, I'm doing this for me. Like, I really want to, you know, for whatever goals or for whatever, you know, I've madness that I'm thinking about that I'm like, oh, I just want to do this for me. So it proves to me that I can do it. 
and then seeing how that then influences other people to be like, oh, I can do that. She did that. I can do that. And not really understanding like the energy that I've put out there. And, and I don't know. I think it's great. I love hearing that. I love hearing that other photographers are like, oh, I've been influenced by that. I, you know, I mean, kids DM me and tell me, but I guess it's just sometimes I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really like, I don't know. Not that I don't believe them, but it's just, is I maybe it's just like my awkwardness, you know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You've told me before that um you feel like your book was a real turning point in your career and really kind of the catalyst for the the level that you're at now. And can you talk a little bit about why and and you know the impact of the book and how that changed things for you? Sure, yeah. Um I think for at least, you know, two years, I was contemplating, you know, making a book and, you know, trying to figure that out and talking to different people about it, my agent at the time, like just all the different people who I thought, you know, could lead me in the right direction. And, you know, I started out on that. And at the end, uh, my good friend, um, Angela Bakke decided that, you know, he would create this publishing arm of his agency and he would publish my book. So when we started working on that, you know, the conversations he and I were having were a lot about, you know, in in real terms of like why he's doing this and why I need to do it. And it, it, for me, it was always about this idea of people not really knowing my name maybe knowing my work, but not knowing my name. And so when I sat down to do the book, I was like, oh, I'm going to just put in like all my favorite images. Like, it's not going to be like this book about a particular thing. It's just going to be like, you know, my work, my favorite images, like 20 years. Like there's so many images that people haven't seen of mine. And, you know, because when you're, when you're not allowed to work in the way that you you ultimately could it's you have work that that could be shown so I think like once the book came out and I started doing all of the tours with the book I think I really got to see the change and where people were like oh this book's really good and when I did it I was again it's like everything I said before it's like I'm doing this for myself like I'm really doing this to be like okay like you've done it. This is a goal you had, like, boom, it's done. But then getting it into people's hands and then seeing how it influenced and inspired people, like people who I wouldn't even think would ever own my book or pull it off their shelf for inspiration really, I think, also changed my confidence because I was like, oh, wait, I think this is good. They think it's good. I think they're good. You know, it was a whole, it was a whole new thing. And I think seeing all the different people like post about it or be like, I want it. Or, you know, the lines at signing is really, really crazy for me. That's awesome. Are you going to do another run? Because it's sold out now, hasn't it? I think there's like a few copies left, which I'm, which I probably will sell um, when I, when we do like another like social studies programming thing. Um, but no, I think I'm gonna, I think if I do another run of it, it'll be a long time from now. Right. Um, 
that I'm just, I'm moving on. I'm just going to do some other stuff. Like while we've been, you know, with our time off during quarantine, I've been able to go through my archive and get it sorted and realize I have like two other books I could put out. <laughs> Amazing. Based around different themes. So that's probably what's next. That's very cool. I wanted to talk a little bit about your portraiture because you photographed so many incredible women from Calypso Rose, Ali Wong, Issa Rae, Erica Badu, um, and you have such an intrinsic connection with your subjects and you really have such empathy in your vision. And I wondered how you maintain that level of intimacy when you're shooting bigger names and you're up against the constraints that come along with those shoots. I think when I'm photographing anyone, like, you know, from celebrity to friend to family member, the thing is I'm just consistently myself. I think every time I think about this, when I try to, like, think about the magic that happens or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's I truly believe that it's about me fully understanding who I am and always being back. I think that there's a lot of times I've seen people and I'm like, whoa, she's really performing right now. And if that's the way that, you know, you get your, get the best shot out of someone, you know, that's great for you. But like, I don't, I can't, I don't hold that within me. Like, I think I don't know any other way, but to be myself. And I think the people that I'm fortunate enough to photograph, they gravitate to that. There's something within them that then they see that and they want to match it. You know, um, I've had some people where, you know, that we're shooting and I still feel that they're performing and there's little tricks that I'll do to like get them to just relax. But I think for the most part, it is just like, what you're seeing is people's reactions to me. And what keeps you so excited about portraiture? Well, I guess, are you still excited? You seem excited about it. You have sort of <laughs> energy, both in your, like, who you are and in, and in your work, you know? It, like, vibrates off the page when you see one of your portraits. They've got such a signature to them. But, yeah, is it something you still really enjoy, kind of 20 years on? <laughs> yeah, I do, because I, you know, no matter how twisted and crazy humans are I still love them and I still am interested in them I'm so interested in knowing their story I think there's something about you know being a fantastical person with like being having a wild imagination and growing up as you know an only child with my mom but having you know half siblings that I would hang out with all the time I think that there's some balance between creating your own stories, but then hearing other people's stories and something about that growing up like that has made me still thrive on this idea of like learning about other people and through taking portraits, like that's my thing. Like I'm like, ah, I really love finding out about people and talking to them. And, you know, I think that that's a large exciting part about it. And, and for me, sometimes even with my like, you know, white wall portraits, you know, where there's like minimal set. I always find that that's like this beautiful moment for people where they're like, oh, oh I'm just going to sit on this box. And it like allows them to have maybe more of like a confessional with me. 
so there is there is something that's super exciting about having someone talk to me about their life and maybe tell me things that they didn't think that they were going to. Like every shoot, people are like, I don't think I was going to tell you that. But, you know, <laughs> the conversation just kind of like lends itself to that. So, yeah, yeah. I am. I'm still excited because it's just like, who doesn't like talking to people? Who doesn't like, you know, finding out more? And from each of my shoots, I've learned something and I've taken away, you know, bits that have really shaped me more. So I think it's, you know, I think it's great. And I hope that my subjects too, I hope that they walked away being like, she's funny or (laughs) maybe I'll look at it that way. You know, I think, I think that there is a good give and take during one of my sessions. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. And you're so in demand now. You're, you know, prior to lockdown, you were flying all over the world. You were doing shows, you were shooting campaigns, you were shooting so much editorial. I wonder how you stay prepared for new opportunities when you're being pulled in so many different directions. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, and it's it's funny to talk, even talk about that because having so much time off because of uh, Corona, I think that it just it just put into place that I've always thought that you need time. That it's it's great to be photographing all the time and to be making money and to you know get your work and your vibe out there but I think that having time off has been great for me like I think I thrive more when I'm able to just chill and to really think because when you're going from shoot to shoot it's really hard to think and then you have to hire more people to think for you and I think being a bit of a control freak you tend to lose you tend to lose something if you have other people doing a lot of the work for you. The work is, you know, great when it's like that, but I think I really like to have more of a personal hold on what I'm doing. So I don't know if there's a true way to be prepared. I mean, I know for me, I think it's it's like having a bit of time between shoots, which isn't always something you can afford. So I think I, I from this, I'm trying to figure out a practice for me that makes sense. You know, if it's if it means me being more active or me taking like even if it's just a day to like really use that day to recharge, because between shoots it always is. It's about for me, it's it's about energy. So I'm giving out a load of energy, you know, on my shoots, and then I have to recoup that in order to keep it going. As you can see, Jen, it's still something I'm figuring out. <laughs> yeah, but that's, it's important, isn't it? Because it's such a it's such a balance trying to do the work you love do you know sustain your business because you've got to pay the bills you know not turn down opportunities because especially when you know in all situations I feel like but especially when you fought so hard to get where you are you know you understand truly and deeply the value of these opportunities and then I think also, you know, after a time like this, it can be really confusing because I, you know, I've spoken to a few other photographers and I, I agree with you too. I think, you know, the pace of what was happening before wasn't sustainable and it wasn't conducive to great work. Like you do, you're exactly right. You do need that time to recharge your energy, to just allow your brain to process moving from one thing to another. And 
it's funny, isn't it? It's like we've had this time to decompress in some ways, even though there's a lot of traumatic things happening in the world, and but reflect on our industry. But then equally, the pressure now of everybody being out of work for three, four months, who knows? That, that's going to bring a whole other pressure to photographers, which I think is already starting to be quite anxiety producing for people. So it is so tough to find that balance where you can protect your creativity but also protect your life and your mental health like it's it's an ongoing journey yeah it definitely is and I think this time has just also shown that you know for each photographer like whatever it is that they need like it's it's also kind of individual you know like some photographers are like I'm gonna do these zoom and facetime shoots and you know, some photographers like myself are like, I'm not doing that. Like, I can't. Like, for me, even within that, there was, like, no real concept of how I could even wrap my brain around it. Because for me, I was feeling like, oh, my work's all about touch and connecting, and it's so hard to connect through the computer. I mean, even though you can, and I know that there's, like, you know, things that can be done. But I know, you know, from speaking to a bunch of friends where we're just like ah no I think everyone has to find what works for them and to to make moves through that but it's it's really hard I I don't I don't know like and with all the things that are happening you know right now I have no idea what the industry is going to look like at the end you know because you know currently we have like brands putting out these statements of like you know standing in solidarity with the people, with Black people. And, you know, they say that, but then I'll show up to a meeting and it's all white women or it's all white dudes or, you know, and I'm like, wait, how are you guys, you know, am I your diversity Mm. (laughs) inclusion person? Like, how are you, how are you able to really speak on things if you're not doing it from the inside, you know, internally? Like, I think it's really hard to, to really forecast moving forward what it's going to look like you know like speaking to me a couple of weeks ago I would have said and I think I did I think I was like things are going to get bad and things are going to look really different than they did before yeah I mean one thing we talked about last time we spoke was you had a lot of concerns about what this moment and I don't mean sorry the coronavirus but what this (laughs) moment this moment in time say the last few years means for black photographers specifically because obviously there's been some incredible shows and books and artists like incredible artists who Mm -hmm. you know up-and-coming artists that are really making a name for themselves and making some incredibly powerful work which people are really taking notice of and celebrating but you know one of the things that I've been really thinking about a lot since we last spoke was you saying but how how is this sustainable you were quite critical when we last spoke about having sort of the faith that that will continue uh, quite rightly and I wonder you know if you're still feeling the same now and maybe if you can just unpack kind of a little bit about what we were discussing. Yeah I mean I think the where I was going was just about value and about worth and how the industry looks at you know, okay, it looks at photography even, you know, for how long have we been fighting for, a, it's just the, okay, it is 
a part of the fine art world. Like, you know, when you're like, oh, when uh, Schneegel, are you an artist? Yeah, what do you do? Photography, uh, you know, and the, the, the way people can look down on it. And I think so many of us have just been in this constant fight of dealing with worth. And so when I was talking before, it was like I was just mentioning that I felt like, and I know, like, because I've spoken to so many people about it who, you know, aren't quick to publicly talk about it, but just like the value, because there's so many, so many wonderful, like really, really good um, black and brown photographers now that the value that the industry places on that, because it is us, the value has now gone down. And I think that I was just really, really interested in trying to figure out how to keep the value up, you know, and, and, and talking with friends and trying to figure out like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, what, how does that work? Is it because we get someone influential to start purchasing photographs by black and brown photographers at a high rate or, what, what does that mean? But then we fast forward to what's happening now and you're like, okay, well, maybe there'll be this backlash, this thing that will come that will rise from all of the protests and all of the, like, fight, the fight. Maybe the fight will look different and maybe the worth will go up because I don't even know. Like, I, 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 I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm speaking all of this and really trying to like think about it in a way that makes sense. But for me right now, I feel like there there's no worth put onto black lives. So how in turn is there supposed to be worth put onto black art? You know, like when when I'm unpacking this for you, that's how I'm looking at it. Like, yeah. and I think it's always been that to me. And I think maybe what's great about what's happening now is that a lot more people are able to see that a lot more people are like oh wait actually I've been talking about like you know why does it always have to be race like why when we're talking to Schneeko does it always have to do with like the struggle she's had within like racism and sexism and it's like yo because it's real and because it's real things that have actually like monetarily emotionally physically like held me back from doing things, even though I pressed on and like ignored it and, you know, but they, I can't ignore that they were parts of my struggle and parts of my climb and, but not everyone's strong enough to just be like, fuck it, I'm gonna just do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not yeah. everyone is, is, is built for that. And I think, I think so many things, Gemma, actually, it's just with this, I think that it's always for me been about worth. And I think that that's because it's even come out of people's mouths where it's like, well, this is what Schneegel costs. And people are like, really? (laughs) When I know that like my white friends who do the exact same job get like two times as much and it's not a big deal. It's not even a fight. It's maybe like one round of revisions on an estimate. Like it's not a big deal. So (laughs) For me, it's always going to be about the worst. Yeah. Photography is such a powerful medium. And I feel like, you know, we can be doing a lot of work within our own industries. And I feel like the creative industry has a long way to go. And it champions itself so much as like a place of celebration and a place of inclusivity. And that's simply not true. 
you know it's, no. it's just not all of these changes and making the industry more inclusive will benefit everybody it's important yeah. to understand yeah. how other people live and experience and move through the world and you know having more of a wider group of people sitting at the table we're all bringing different perspectives and different experiences it's only going to make creative work more powerful than ever before I think it's it's not a big ask, but it's, you know, it's always something that I've said, like, I, I always laugh. And, you know, from what I said to you before, when I was like, you know, all of my, all of the things that were like roadblocks for me were these really, really great teachable moments for me, you know, and I think I always like to go back to this. And I, I say it, and people laugh when I say it, but growing up swimming for predominantly like, black and brown you know like most of the kids on my swim team were black or Dominican or Puerto Rican and then we had like a small little nugget of like white kids on our team and we were you know we're a diverse swim team this is like a big deal in New York City like in the and Min, on the island of Manhattan a swim team and um I just remember we would go to these swim meets out Long Island or upstate New York and then you know or we'd go to swim camp in Florida and I just remember always, you know, encountering white kids, specifically like, you know, our roommates or whoever were in the locker room, these right? white girls, and the things that they would say and the things that they would think. And it always made me be like, damn, like, this is crazy. So thinking like, you know, an age 10 to 11, 12 year old kid, and you're sitting around and you're having these conversations. And with some people, it was totally fine. Like they got it. Their parents raised in a specific way. Like... But there were other kids who were just taught, you know, you're inferior, you suck. Like, I don't, I don't need to be friends with anyone who looks like you because you don't look like me. And I had always equate that, 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 that same interactions and those feelings. Like when I walk into certain meetings and I look at some of the women and I'm like, oh God, how have you not ever met someone like me before? How have you not put yourself in a position to interact with? trade recipes with, invite them to your parents' house over the weekend. Like, how are you not friends with anyone who looks like me? And it just always reminds me back of, of swimming. And learning to deal with that as a kid has always brought me to the place as an adult of, of having to deal with the same things. You know, so to me, like time when people are like, oh, so much has changed. And I'm like, no, those kids just grew up and, and nothing ever made them change from their box. They never left their, their neighborhood in Long Island. They went to a, a university that had more people who were like them and they came out of that university and they are now sitting in jobs where they're still thinking the same way they did back in like 87. So to me, when people mm -hmm. talk about stuff, I'm always like, I always was like, it, the change never had to be me. I never had to like do better. It was always looking at other people like in meetings and challenging them to be like, you need to hire someone like me. Not just because I'm good, not just be, but because it's different to who you are. You know, if you look around and you look at magazines, it's all this, it's like, oh, people are hiring people who look like them, who feel like them, or they're hiring people they want to sleep with. It's in either or, you know, and that's always a joke. Yeah. Like, that's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. You know, you get a white woman photo editor, like, you know, a lot of them right now, they're like, no, she, but we hire so many people of color. Like, but do you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you hire them just to photograph people of color? You know, like you're hiring them to shoot Brad Pitt? Are you hiring them to shoot, you know, Kate Blanchett? Some people would be like, 
oh, it doesn't matter, but it does because that is diversity. That's yeah. actual diversity. Hiring me to consistently shoot black people is beautiful. It's great. It's what I, it's what I want to do, but that's not diversity. Yeah. I feel like you know? this is this is something that's really prevalent right now. And I feel like this is kind of, you know, it's it's kind of like basic level one becoming aware of the bias, right? It's like photographers yeah. are just doing they're doing one plus one equals two on this situation rather than exactly like you said, hiring you to shoot Brad Pitt. It's just, it's, it's frustrating because people kind of talk about that as progress and, and they, you know, I've been to a lot of talks where photo editors have talked about how important that is. And, you know, it's it's not they're missing they're missing the point like yes obviously sometimes that's relevant because there's there's nuances to all stories right there's you're going to get a very different story if you send a 20 year old white guy to shoot a story about motherhood compared to somebody who's experienced motherhood so you know it's it's a case by case basis but I feel like we're in we're entering a phase where it get it's getting it's just getting very one-dimensional in terms of commissioning and I feel like that's really restrictive for everybody um but it's like working out you know I guess this is the work for photo editors it's like it's doing the work to make sure that you have enough voice like different voices in the mix already to then you know and making sure stories that need to be told by a specific perspective are being treated with care and consideration but also ensuring that you know you're mixing it up and you're experimenting and you're not classifying people by their experience in life whatever that may be it's just yeah it's it feels like it's got quite stagnant in in that terms yeah it's 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 basic yeah (laughs) yeah I think um I think there's something to be said about it and I think I say all of it because I have been a photo editor and I have been a freelance photo editor and I've worked, you know, I've worked in a bunch of different places and I know that it's changed, but not drastically because Mm -hmm. when I joke with other friends in the industry, you know, be it that they work at the magazines or they're, you know, photographer, director, you know, and our stories are so similar and they're, and it's just, you know, that part to us is the funny part, you know, or the, the facet you know, people don't think that we all speak or, you know, it's just, it's funny because you, you get to swap these stories and you're like, wow, things really aren't moving forward, you know, Mm -hmm. or people say they want to, but you know, it's, it's to change the system means you have to change you. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people aren't ready or weren't ready for the change. I think a lot of the things that are being brought to light, you know, with this, this past week, you know, are are allowing people to really look at themselves. You know, I had a conversation with a friend, a really good friend the other day. And, you know, I was telling her, I was like, you know, what's difficult here is that, you know, when we're looking at privilege, when you have to look at your privilege, you actually have to sit there and think like, wow, have I been afforded this life I have because I'm just white? Like who ever wants to sit around and be like, oh, am I actually really not that talented? Mm-hmm. And is my work actually really not that good, mm-hmm. you know, and to think about that in real, in a real context is like, you know, it's mind blowing for some people, 
But, you know, all black and brown creatives were always told we're not enough or we have to get better. We have to elevate or our work's too raw or work's too, you know, who the fuck knows what other excuses mm-hmm. have been told to us. But it's just like those two opposite ends and having to look at people and be like, that's really like when we're sitting down and talking about really getting into it, you have to own that. Like we're, that's a part of this creative speak is that we're asking you to own that. Like not everything you do is amazing. <laughs> and and you've been pushed forward a lot of the time because of all the systems set in place to allow you to achieve, allow yeah. you to, you know, propel forward faster than your black and brown friends, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think, yeah, and I think for me, like, I've, all of a lot of the things that I do are always, like, behind closed doors because to me that's, to me, that's more important. I don't need to post it on Instagram. Hey, I had a talk. I donated. I did that. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, it's more important that the people I work with who disrespect me, that, you know, I speak to them directly. Like, that yeah. I let them know, like, Joe, you don't do this to me and you don't do it to anyone who looks like me. You don't do it to anyone after me. Like, this is it. Like, you know, or or try to engage, you know, even like, you know, people who work with me handle me my agency like everyone just like to know like what they're truly dealing with you know and it, it, it's it's conversation and it's work and it then allows the creative work to get better yeah when people are really saying things you know yeah yeah i agree wholeheartedly yeah <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit about social studies because it's such a powerful project that you're part of. Um, can you share a little bit about the goal and how it works? Sure. Um, so social studies is, um, I love it. it is, <laughs> it's a program that myself, Angela Bakke and Michael Goldberg from Something Special Studios created um, and it's really, it's in the past, it's worked as a multi-day experiential event where we have like workshops and talks and one-on-ones. And it's really, for me, it, it, it's an event that acts as an incubator of raw talent, of, of just like anyone who's like trying to get out there. Um, but while empowering and educating these humans to be creative, but also through like community driven um, philanthropy and different types of programming that we create, which is generally supported by like brands and artists engagement. Um, I know that when Angelo and I first started talking about doing social studies. It was kind of based out of a few different things, like launching my book was one, working with um, our community to kind of just propel us all forward, to be honest with you. And, and within that, we know that like and most of us all being like back and brown we know we can't push forward without reaching back and so we really wanted to do something that allowed like our younger selves to have mentors to have a place to connect with other people who look like them 
or maybe just people who they were inspired by or were their heroes. And I think, I think that we were really just trying to like help our younger selves. It goes back to that question you asked me like about having a mentor mm-hmm. when I was younger and I didn't. And I know Angela didn't. And I'm not sure. I don't, I mean, Michael's still young, so I feel like he's still in it, but like, I just think that there wasn't a way for us to, you know, have the right push in because, you know, all of this that we do, it's all about access. You know, mm-hmm. if you know person A who knows person B, you know, generally you're you're either going to get the job or you're going to get some help or you're going to be, you know, people are going to talk about you. Oh, she's this new hot thing. But a lot of kids of color, they don't have that. You know, a lot of black kids, they don't have that. They don't have access to that. So we wanted to create something where kids would have all of those things. And then, then they can make the decision like, okay, yeah, I totally want to go into being a screener or I want to have a clothing line or I want to be a photographer, you know? Um, and so we, we just run different types of programming there. And every time we've done it, we've done something different. Um, and even at the last one in New York, I ran this, like I was inspired by something that, um, I had seen at like a, it was called Inspiration Now and it was a Pekka Kucha style presentation. And I was like, oh, I'm going to bring that to social studies because that would be really cool to get like photographers who I like, who I don't think are getting as much love as they should, can come and just talk for like, you know, six minutes about their work. And then, you know, I, we did that with a range of like Renelle and Chandler Kennedy and Joshua Woods and like Sue Kwan and like all these just like different photographers that I like. And then I just remember like fast forward and like Antoine Sargent was like, Shaniqua, I need you to know that when I was doing, working on my book, which is a great book, he was like, I was totally inspired by that presentation you did. And so to me, I was like, boom, then it all works. Because mm-hmm. if, if we're, you know, and especially within the community, if, I, if I'm able to do something at social studies that then echoes out and allows like all these other different things to happen, then it's working. We're doing the right thing. And I yeah. think there, there's been that. And then there's been, you know, there's been other designers who've then been able to go on and work with other different brands. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a great space. And we're currently working on um, a digital format of that, you know, due to uh, the coronavirus that's running rampant right now. That's amazing that you're going to do a digital version. Yeah, because then it's just like worldwide and yeah, everyone can have, a, you know, get involved in some kind of way. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah I really wanted to talk to you actually about um, one of the things I really admire about you. There's so many, but one of them is that you don't put any boundaries on the medium and you're, you're never boxing yourself in and you're never, you know, letting people box you in to some extent. And you're, you know, you don't really wait for an opportunity. You just, you know, if there's something you want to do, you go out and get it, which is so motivating and inspiring to be around. And I really loved watching all the collabs you've done in the last few years. And it is just, you know, how photography translates and works with clothing is really fascinating and kind of what that means from an accessibility point of view and and how the work can like live in such a different context is really exciting and I wondered um, what makes these opportunities so interesting for you I think it's a large part of just being open 
And I think at the core of it being an artist. And I think even beyond that, like my joke is always like, I went to Parsons, I might as well do something that shows for it, you know, like <laughs> might as well, you know. I think that there's something within collaborating with other people who you admire, who you like, who you respect that or brands even that, you know, it's just a fun thing to do. And it's and I think after the first thing you know, and you see how people react to it and you're like, oh, wow, people want my stuff? What? Uh, okay. You know, and I think you just get more, you get you get more pumped off of it and you're like, okay, well then how can I make something that's rad? How can I make something that's cool or useful? You know, it, it, the list goes on and on. And yeah. I think the first time I saw, the first time anything of mine was on anything, it's I was hired by Supreme to do um like I, I was doing them at the same time, like a Damien Hurst shoot and um, Lee Scratch Perry shoot. And both of those, like it's so long that I can't even remember, but I think both of them were originally meant to be, I think t-shirts or maybe they were like, you know, they had this like little like blog bit on their site and, you know, they would run like video and interviews. And I think the first time that I was like, what was, with the Lee Scratch Perry, you know, like I think I was at London in the time, and I like walked into Dover Street Market in the basement, and there was like massive photo on the <laughs> wall, and I was like, oh shit, <laughs> that's so cool, my photo, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was like, it was so cool, and it was, and it was not just that it was supreme, but you know, for me, it was like there's my work like there's my work larger than me like <laughs> this is insane and you know it's insane that it's now on this shirt and these kids like people are like it's my favorite shirt like it's just it was <laughs> it was one of those things I think that made me go like damn that's insane you know because I, I think before that I don't even remember putting and maybe I did I think like in school like we probably made shit made merch um but beyond that that was like the first time the work was like people I didn't know I would see them out and be like that loud out. <laughs> <laughs> so good you know so it's, it's pretty cool um but doing like like you know the the more collabi stuff with like sneakers and stuff or doing my own shoe with adidas um, or any of the stuff that I've done with Jerry for Essentials, Fear of God stuff, that, that's all been, the Jerry stuff has definitely been more of like proper collaboration where he's like, okay, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, okay, well, here's a photo I think, you know, we'll talk about it and make it go bang. But I think I was most surprised at the last um, collab that he and I did and how many kids were just like, so pumped about it it really it like it really blew my mind and I I still feel super proud of that and really love love it you know I really love that like those images that I always were like oh these are beautiful <laughs> that they ended yeah. up on you know these tees and sweatshirts and but people like them you know yeah, people like, you know thank you <laughs> yeah. um, the last question I wanted to ask you is 
I guess it's quite personal. Um, I wanted to ask you what's more important to you, the experience of making the work or the final photograph? I, I think, sorry to say, but I think they're both important. That's okay. They're both you can important. Have both. I can have both. Okay. They're <laughs> both important because <clears throat> to me, the experience of making the image, like I can go into like a good one to talk about would be Erica Badu. So the lead up to that, you know, is like me and Anna Trouble and sitting around talking about, you know, connecting kind of really for the first time, you know, we'd seen each other out and we're like, hey, hey, hey. And then we're like, you know, she was like, let's work together. And I was like, yeah. And then us talking, us connecting, and then us being like, who would we want to shoot together? What should we do? And then coming up with Erica, you know, and then actually making that happen. Um, you know, me then connecting with my friend Melody Asani, who then put me in touch with one of Erica's peoples and then you know, Anna and I both just like hitting her, like, hey, we want to shoot you, we want to shoot you. Finally making it happen, getting to her house, the experience of being in Erica Badu's house, the experience of her talking to me and really like blessing me with some really good Pisces to Pisces knowledge, her like fucking with my assistants, like just all of that, <laughs> all of it, you know, to then a shooting to me and uh and Erica like vibing and being like one and then getting the images back. <laughs> yeah. Like, all of those to me were were what made all of the magic and 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 I and I think the images were great and I think I know me and Anna talked about Poppy where she had more time, you know, but like shooting Erica, I feel like you need like a week. You yeah. need like a full week. Because she gives it. She gives mm -hmm. so much of herself of all of the looks, all of the vibes, you know, she art directed that. And I just think that, you know, it was very powerful. <clears throat> and so when it came time to choosing the images, you know, like Anna and I, like we went through like our faves and, you know, there were, you know, and of course Anna's going to go for stuff that is representative of what she loves. And then, you know, and, and it's all different, but it's all the same. So it was a really good it was a really good experience, but perfect in the sense that I can tell you that the, the work up to the shoot and then the last, you know, picking the images to me that they were all a part of the same energy and vibe. And I loved both, Yeah, you know? Um, yeah, there's, I feel like all 90% of my shoots are like that. Yeah. 90% of the whole journey. Work. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's more set design so I'm digging in and I'm like you know maybe I saw something in a museum and I'm like oh I want to like figure out how to incorporate something like that or and then going off and working you know working with someone one of my set designers or you know I get to set and the artist is pumped you know like I'm thinking about like the Ferg shoot I did Ferg like came to set he was like this is different this is different I'm different like that he just went with it and was like in it and was so open to being different, but also wanting to showcase that, wanting to showcase that like, hey, like not every rapper has to be like this. Like this, you could look like this, you could dress like this. And, you know, there's just, just all the beauty in that. And then also the final images, which I loved. And I loved going through them and being like, oh, which, you know, there's like too many. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's just too many good ones um nothing but a good thing yeah you know or even like the shoot I did for a post with with Aaron like you know we're friends and I remember I was, I was like 
I thought I'd been like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And Aaron was like, are you shooting me or what? Like, <laughs> like you know, and all the, the silliness that goes up into that of like, and then Aaron being like, I don't really want anyone but you in my house. Okay. And like, being like, oh, okay. Like, you know, <laughs> all of that. But then getting the images and then, you know, in the end, <laughs> Aaron being like, I guess those images are good. People like like them. <laughs> I love those pictures. You know, me too. You know, I mean, it's I love Aaron, and it's 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 just it's fun to to go through the whole process for me. It's not for me. It's not just like getting to press the button. It's like the talks about it, the the, the image referencing, or sometimes for me, it's just like whatever weird shit is in my head or you know whatever it is or how I see someone you know yeah well thank you so much for being on the podcast I really appreciate your time and your just your just honesty about everything that's going on thank you so much no doubt I don't know anything else I don't know how I know some people are like you shouldn't say that you shouldn't and I'm like I don't care like who cares who cares anymore you definitely should it's important yeah yeah know your worth (laughs) (laughs) true I'll just leave it with that know your worth thanks for listening to the messy truth you can find more information about today's guests in the show notes theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 